Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. We are still in, as I mentioned, our series on healing. Um, don't it's, this might be it for now. Of course, if we go a different direction next week, it'll be sort of springboarding off some of the things we've talked about with regard to faith and other things. But last week, I started a message on faith for healing. And one of the points I at least attempted to make is that when we are asking this question, which always comes up, if you are making a case for divine healing, especially if the case you are making is, it's always God's will to heal, the question, the logical question, the reasonable question is, if it's always God's will to heal, why doesn't everybody get healed? And the answer, the point I was making last week, is that, <clears throat> excuse me, at least some of the time, the answer is, because you have no faith. Now, that's a harsh thing to say, and you can't be. I don't think anybody can afford to say, well, obviously they didn't get healed because they have no faith. But it's, it's their fault. It sounds mean. It is mean. But it's still scriptural to recognize that this is a legitimate answer to the question, at least some of the time. We know it's true, not just of healing, but of anything we ask of God. James says that. If you lack wisdom, ask of God, who gives to all men liberally but without, and without reproach, but let him ask in faith, right? N not doubting anything. For the person who doubts is, like uh, is double-minded. Let not that man believe he will receive anything from God. So whatever we're asking God, we have to ask in faith. And uh, this, is, uh, this is sadly the state of millions of Christians. They believe in Jesus and they have trusted him for salvation, but because they don't go to a church that teaches the word, they don't study their Bibles. Uh, I'm not talking about diligently, I'm talking about the millions of Christians, and you know some of them. Some of you are some of them who don't read their Bibles at all. And so they don't know the promises. How can you believe God for anything if you don't know what God has said about it? Don't kid yourselves. Don't be deceived. And you, can't, you just can't have faith if you don't have knowledge of his word and his promises. I said no faith, not little faith. Jesus said if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. So we can have faith for salvation because we are persuaded that Jesus died for our sins. He provided salvation through his finished work at the cross. But if we are not persuaded that this same work of the cross includes our healing, we will have no faith for healing. Let me ask a question I don't think I've ever asked before. You feel free to shout out the answer if you think you know it. Where does faith begin? Wow, everybody just knew that. Maybe I have asked it before. Where does faith begin? where the will of God is known. Now, as a word of faith church, as a faith church, we can talk about, I got faith for this, I'm believing for this, and that's good language as long as you know what you're talking about. You, are, you might be wishing for something and asking for something and speaking something, confessing something, building up your hope, but it's not faith if it's not based on your knowledge of God's revealed will. You have to know it's God's will for it to be Biblical faith. 1 John 5. 1 John chapter 5, 
beginning in verse 14. Probably my favorite passage on prayer and faith. Now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Now, this doesn't say you can never ask God for something if you don't know his will. People do this all the time. You can say, just like a child can ask a parent for anything, can I have this? And sometimes the parent's going to say no. And they'll say, this is not good for you. Uh, We don't want you to have this. We can't afford this, whatever. God, he does say no to some prayers. But he doesn't say no when we request something that he has already specifically said is his will. It would be kind of like, not that God owes us anything, and we got to be careful. When, we talk, when I use words like entitled, that's getting close to sounding like God owes us something. If it ever sounds like I'm saying God owes you this, it's only in the context that he has promised it and he can't lie. All right? But if God has expressed his will, has made a promise concerning something, then going to him and asking for it is just like going to your boss on payday saying, can I have my paycheck? You know there's only one correct answer to that. The boss doesn't have the, he can't say, he's bound by a contract, by a promise, by a covenant to say, yes, here's your paycheck. He can't say, I don't think this is good for you this week. I think you're going to blow it. I think, I think it, it's not good for you to have the money. No, 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 that's my money. We already agreed on this before, okay? Now, the difference there, of course, is when we go to ask God for something, it's not because we've earned it. It's only because he's promised it. But if he hasn't promised it, doesn't mean he can't ask for it. It just means he can't be in faith for it. Does this make sense? Once he reveals his will, you can be in faith. So, as I promised last week, here are some, and this is just a handful of some scripture passages that demonstrate that healing is God's will. I'm going to read these quickly. I try to, when I do a scripture reference, and I know most of you are following along up here, but I encourage you to bring your Bibles and look at it yourself. Uh, And so I try to at least give you a few seconds to get to the passage. I'm not going to do that now. So if you want to check these out, just scribble the references down. You can look at them later or just follow along up here. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. And some of these you've heard in the last few weeks. Exodus 15, 26. If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you, which I have brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. I am Jehovah Rapha, remember? Exodus chapter 23, beginning in verse 25. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days Psalm 91, beginning in verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Psalm 91, beginning in verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. 
he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I, be, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 103, beginning in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Psalm 107, beginning in verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. That's a good one, isn't it? Because it says right there in this case, all their distresses were due to their foolishness, their transgression and their iniquities. And when they called out, he rescued them from their troubles. He sent his word and healed them. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. And 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. We've already looked at, uh, in detail at Isaiah chapter 53, by his stripes we are healed. We've referred repeatedly to the ministry of Jesus, how he healed all who came to him in faith. The multitudes came, and we have dozens of individual healings recorded, and we have several references where the multitudes were brought to him, and he healed them all. We looked closely at James chapter 5 for a couple weeks about the anointing with oil uh, by the elders and the forgiveness of sin and the connection between forgiveness and healing. But I want to look at a couple of crucial things today uh, before we come to the main point. Last week, again, we started looking at faith for healing and by extension, faith for anything. And as we stated earlier, Faith begins where the will of God is known. And we know from looking at some of these passages over the last four or five weeks that Jesus made some extraordinary statements about faith, about the faith of the people who received healing. Listen, these are some things he said, and we've, and we've referred to all of these things. Be it unto you according to your faith. This is so important because he doesn't say, be it unto you according to my power. This is God the Son. This is the, God the Son in the flesh, and he can do anything, right? But he doesn't say, be healed because I'm God the Son. He doesn't say, be healed according to my power. Be it unto you according to your faith. He said uh, to the woman with the issue of blood, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. He said, believe. All things are possible to him who believes. This is a guy who's asking for healing for his son, and he doesn't say, believe. I'm Jesus, and I can do anything. He says, believe. All things are possible to him who believes. 
So we see Jesus absolutely stressing the importance of faith and commending people for their faith and pointing out that when they receive what it is they're asking for, that their faith has something to do with it. But do we ever see a point where Jesus uh, can't do something because of a lack of faith? Yeah, we do, don't we? Was Jesus actually limited? Jesus, God the Son, was he limited by people's lack of faith? If he is God, cannot, can't he do whatever he wants, whenever he wants? Look at this, Mark chapter 6. Gospel of Mark, the sixth chapter, and we begin in verse 1. Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Verse 5, now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So much in this passage that it's worth exploring. We're not going to explore it all. Uh, but if, if, here's one thing. I don't know if you've noticed this before. Of course, what I'm focusing on here is this astonishing statement that Jesus could do no mighty work there. Not that he wouldn't, but that he couldn't. God the Son in the flesh could do no mighty work there. Why? Clearly because of their unbelief. But look up, just as kind of a side note here, I just want to settle it for you. When they say where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Well, if he could do no mighty work there, what are they talking about? They're talking about what they'd heard from other people. Only when he came, instead of saying, he's here, and we're going to see the same mighty works, it's, wait a second, it's this guy? We know him. We know his whole family. It seems like whenever I, I read this passage, I always think about it, so I probably always say it. There's that old Keith Green song where it's, I uh, can't remember what the name of the song is, but the, but the verse says, uh, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that Joseph and Mary's boy? Didn't he grow up right here? He played with our children. What? You must be kidding. Thinks he's a prophet? But prophets don't grow up from little boys, do they? You remember that? Like, prophets are supposed to appear on the scene full-grown and like Elijah does. You don't get, we don't get any background in Elijah. He just shows up. This is what they wanted. No, it can't be Jesus. What are all these mighty works? This guy? Maybe it would have been better if they just didn't know him. But because they knew him and because their expectations were low, he could do no mighty work there. Now, he still laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. I have heard it taught. I'm not the language expert, but I've, I've heard it, what it's referring to here. People with minor ailments. 
but I really think the emphasis is just on the few versus the multitudes versus heal them all. He marveled because of their unbelief, and then what did he do? He taught. What's the best way to instill faith in people? Teach the Word of God. So again, even Jesus on the scene didn't heal everyone. This is such a tired thing, and I've probably already talked about it in this series, but I'll say it again. When people say, well, if healing is for today, if the gifts are for today, why don't people who believe in the gift of healing go into the hospitals and empty them out? Why don't they go to where all the sick people are and just heal them? Why don't they just wipe out all disease? Because Jesus is our model and Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't seek out the leper colonies and go in and empty them. Who did he heal? He healed everyone. No, he didn't. He healed everyone that came to him in faith. All right? So when he was unable to do any mighty work there in his own hometown, this is clearly not a reflection of God's will to heal. It's a demonstration of how our will can thwart his power working in our lives. It doesn't derail God's ultimate plan. God is still God. It reveals how our lack of faith can absolutely interfere with our receiving a manifestation of any promise of God, including healing. So here's the deal. Actually, I'm asking, what's the deal? <laughs> when I'm healed, when you're healed, what's healing me? Is it my faith that heals me, or is it the power of God that heals me? Jesus said, it's my faith that heals. Okay, so all I just need is faith. Faith in what, though? It's faith in the power of God. It's faith in the promise of God. I've shared this illustration a number of times, and here we go again. Until I come up with a better one, this is the illustration I will, I will continue to use. If I'm on one side of a river or a canyon, a chasm of some kind, and the answer to my prayer is on the other side, I need a bridge or a boat or a plane, but let's keep it simple and say I need a bridge. I need something to convey me to the other side of this chasm, this gap, this river. So let's say there is a bridge. And that seems like problem solved. But if I'm still on this side, bridge or no bridge, my answer is still over there. I don't have it yet. What's missing? I need to walk across that bridge. I need to cross that bridge. What would keep me from doing it? If I'm on this side, what I need is over there. What's going to keep me from crossing that bridge? A couple of things. One is, what if I don't see the bridge? What if I'm facing the wrong way? What if the bridge is camouflaged? I was thinking about that scene in Indiana Jones where he has to step out there. and Last Crusade, I think it was. If the bridge is there and I can't see it, or if the bridge is there and I don't trust it to hold me, well, I see the bridge. Just don't know if I can risk it. The bridge, in this case, is God's promise. The bridge is God's revealed will. The bridge is not my faith. Faith is what causes me to step onto that bridge and walk across it. 
both elements have to be there. If I am ignorant of the promise, or if I don't believe the promise, the promise does me no good. Likewise, all the faith in the world does me no good if the bridge isn't there. We talk about, well, it's tragic. The bridge is there. God's promise is there. All you got to do is believe. Well, there are people who believe things wholeheartedly that aren't true. And if I am 100% convinced the bridge is there and I step out and the bridge is not there, my 100% belief is not going to get me to the other side. I'm going to fall into water or fall into the canyon. The bridge has to be there. The promise has to be there. But it has to be there and I have to believe it before I walk across it. I have to believe and trust that it is strong and stable enough to hold me. And I'm moving toward my conclusion with this observation. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about a couple weeks ago uh, when we looked at the connection between forgiveness and healing. I may see the promise. I may hear the promise. I may read the promise. And still not trust it. Not because the in this case, you know, it, it, not because the bridge is faulty. I might see the bridge. It might be clearly there. And maybe I just don't think I'm qualified to cross it. It might be a perfectly well-built bridge, but maybe I'm too heavy for it. No fat jokes at this point, please. But, you know, we, come, we see bridges out on these country roads with weight limits clearly posted. We see underpasses with height limits. And it makes, you know, six flags. You must be as tall as me to ride this ride. I always think, what if you're too tall for this ride? You know, I'm not going to go into any gory stories that I've heard about in the news over the years. What if I personally am convinced I haven't met the qualifications? I see where the answer is. I see where the promise is. And I can see the bridge. I'm just not eligible. Why? Because God's not pleased with me. I know he loves me. Technically, I know he loves me. Because I believe I'm saved. I just don't think he likes me enough to heal me right now. I believe he loved me enough to save me from hell, but not enough to heal my diseases. So I'm going to suffer on this side of the chasm, and God will carry me over when I die. There are a couple of major problems with that. First is the faulty inference it makes uh, that it takes more love to heal you than it does to save you. When you look at what, God, what it cost God to save you, the blood of his son, his beloved son, his only begotten son, and he loved you that much. Nothing else comes close. Look at Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? See how it flips that faulty assumption around? If he loved you enough to give you his son, he certainly loves you enough to heal you. More importantly, we need to nail down once again that everything we are entitled to, qualified for as believers, every blessing that we can enjoy 
is due 100% to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Let's uh, look here at Galatians chapter 5. I don't know if I gave you guys this one, so listen closely. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly await for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, uh, I think the first person I heard point this out was my, was my dad, Larry Millis. Maybe, anybody in here remember Larry Millis? Great man of God. And uh, it's one thing, when you read what we just read and compare it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, what Paul, remember, can't stress this enough, you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, this is all one thought on the gifts of the Spirit, and tongues in particular. And Paul didn't just say, well, forget the gifts for a minute and let me talk about the importance of love, and then we'll get back on the gifts. He's saying, if, you, if the gifts are going to be effective, if they're going to be profitable, if they're going to bless and edify the church, this needs to be the focus. It can't be, this is going to make me look good, this is going to be exciting. It has to be, I love these people, and what's the best way I can serve them at this moment? What is the best gift I can operate in or flow in that's going to be a blessing to these people? If I'm going to exercise my faith in a way that genuinely pleases God, it has to be in love. But also, this was the difference, this is the thing that I heard Dad point out. I'm not saying he invented it, but he's the first one I heard preach it. Faith working by love. My faith works because I'm convinced that God loves me. I can't believe God for certain things unless I am truly convinced that he loves me. And it ought to be easy to be convinced of that. Just go back and read what we read in Romans chapter 8. He didn't, hold Jesus, he didn't withhold Jesus from me. How's he going to withhold anything else? But boy, the devil is very, very good at that. Okay, I'm not going to try to talk you out of the fact that you're going to heaven someday. That's a lie. He is going to try to talk you out of that. But he said, but you can't have anything else. You're just not worthy of it. This is something we got to remember. I'm departing from my notes, but I, I seriously don't have much left to get through. Remember that whether we're talking about healing or whether we're talking about restoration of your family, whether we're talking about provision, even abundant provision, all of these promises and all of these blessings are for the purpose of doing what he called us to do. We have a mission, and we have a limited number of days on this earth to accomplish that mission. And if we are seeking God for the things he's promised for any other reason, this is also going to affect our results, isn't it? James said that. Should have had this in my notes. You have not because you ask not. You ask and don't receive. Why? Because you ask amiss. You're asking for the wrong reasons. What's the right reasons? So that I can do everything God called me to do. And let's don't kid ourselves about that either, all right? Now, uh, let's, let's, let's read on here. If you worry, as some, as some would argue, look, these promises, a lot of these promises and a lot of these assurances that you read when you're talking about the will of God to heal, those are Old Testament prophecy, uh, promises. Not that they don't apply, but they do specifically say in many cases, if you will do this, if you will keep the law, 
if you will obey me in the land that I'm giving you, then I will heal you. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. There's a qualifier there. And so we think again, the devil saying, uh, you just, yeah, okay, I can't stop God from saving you, but you don't deserve healing because you haven't kept the law. You haven't fulfilled the law. But guess who has? Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly. And where are we, spiritually speaking? Two-word answer. In him. In him. Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. That is the whole key. Do some of us do better than others, especially on, from day to day? Maybe I was a better Christian than you were yesterday. Maybe I more fully walked out my purpose than you did a week ago. But the fact is, I, am, I can't earn one more breath. I can't earn one promise of God. Everything that I walk in, in terms of his protection, his provision, his calling, his, every good gift, his healing, salvation with a capital S, every bit of that is only attainable because of his shed blood. The only thing that I have to do with it is to believe it. And even the faith to believe it is a gift from God, as we talked about last week. But once we recognize that it's all him, it should become easier to believe for these other things because we are qualified, because we are in him. We didn't earn our salvation. We can't earn our healing either. We believe that it's done, that it's something he provides for those who are in him. Uh, but we still wrestle with it. This idea, not just this idea, this knowledge. I mean, we can be right about this. The way I behaved today, the way I spoke to my wife, the way I spoke to my child, the way I spoke to my parents, uh, the way I lied to my boss, the way I cheated on this, a number of things. And it might be minor things, might be big things, but suddenly when we're in a crisis and we need something from God, even the little things become big in our minds. God is not pleased with me. And hopefully, we've come far enough, fast enough to believe, I didn't lose my salvation because of that. But maybe I better not press my luck and ask for healing. This is this, this is warped. This is something the devil has been very, very successful at, getting us to think. Look at Matthew chapter 3, and I really am, uh, yeah, I'm getting there. I really am getting there. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Matthew chapter 17. This is uh, the transfiguration. 
Peter, James, and John are up there, and it says in, in verse 5, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. Does that have to do with us? We are in Christ, and in Christ, God is well pleased. We have to understand that when we are praying from a place, our position in Christ means we experience vicariously God's pleasure. Who's God pleased with? Jesus Christ, his son. Where are we? In Jesus Christ, his son. So we can operate and we can expect and we can receive just as Jesus himself. We are not Jesus himself, but we are in him. And there are promises and privileges that belong to us because we are in him. Listen, when we pray in Jesus' name, uh, and I know we all do, but we have to be careful and understand that in Jesus' name is not just a code phrase. It's not the magic words that, it's, that become a, a spiritual switch that we flip that suddenly makes our prayer effective. We need to understand that what we are saying when we say in Jesus' name is that we are making this request based solely on the fact that we are in Jesus. It's one thing to knock on somebody's door and say, hey, I want your, uh, I want your bicycle, I want your car, or give me the car keys. It's another thing to say, hey, I'm a friend of your son. I'm a friend of uh, the family. Your son told me this. He said to come to you and say these exact words to you. There's an extra key in my drawer, and he said I can have it. Uh, and if I gave you this name, you would. And, and the father, oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Jesus, uh, my son has told me about you. We have authority based on who gives us access to the father. And that's all done in Jesus. All right. We have been authorized, I'll put it this way, we've been authorized by Jesus himself to make the request that we are making. And that is exactly how God hears it, as an authorized request from Jesus himself. Praise and worship team, you can be making your way up here. There's an old song we used to sing, and I came across the lyrics uh, recently when I was reading Keith Hershey's book, and it goes like this. I am covered over with a robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me, gives to me. I am covered over with the precious blood of Jesus and he lives in me, lives in me. What a joy it is to know my heavenly father loves me so he gives to me my Jesus. Listen, when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. When he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be. He sees Jesus. Can you imagine God the Father telling God the Son, no? We need to be asking according to his will, but we can do that when we know his will. Stand up with me. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, I am going to pray for the sick today. I, I was back and forth on this. Thought I might just lead you in another confession. Uh, but I'm going to do it quickly. Not because I don't love you enough to spend time with you, but because there's 
And, and I, would do, I would do whatever God told me to do. Here's the way I'm, I'm being led this morning. This is the way I'm convinced we're supposed to do it. If you, if you have a physical need in your body, if you desire physical healing, I believe that's been purchased for you through the stripes on Jesus' back. I believe you're qualified for it if you are in Christ. So the first thing I want to ask you is, are you in Christ? It's, it's where you want to be. It's where you need to be. And healing is not the least of those reasons, but it does pale in comparison to your eternal destiny. You were created for a relationship with the creator of the universe. And we are born in a state that cuts us off from that. It's called the sin nature. This is why Jesus went to the cross, to bleed and die, to give, shed his blood and give his life, to purchase our salvation. It's, there's a lot wrapped up in that. But the fact is, God is a just God, and he can't leave sin unjudged. But he desires to reconcile us. And so what he does is takes your sin, my sin, your guilt, my guilt, and he imputes it to Christ and judges our sin there at the cross. And therefore, if you are in Christ, you are crucified already with Christ. That's already been paid for. If you are in Christ, you've been raised to new life in Christ. This is all his work. But he had to suffer and die to purchase that salvation for you. Now, once you are in Christ, then it's praise the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my, oh my soul, and forget none of his benefits. But the main thing is being in Christ. If you are not in Christ and you desire to be in Christ, today is your day. Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. So as soon as I'm done praying and open up this altar, I want you to come front and center. I don't want you to waste a minute. If you wind up somewhere else in line, and I don't know, we might have five people come up here. We might have uh, 35 people come up here. But you let me know before I pray for you. I'm up here. I need to be saved. All right? Everybody else, if, there's, if, the, if you need a physical healing in your body, even if you've been prayed for before, even if you woke up today speaking your healing, confessing your healing, as we've talked about the last two weeks, you know, Jesus did say this when he taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. Don't get under legalism and condemnation. Well, if I go up there to get hands laid on me, it means I didn't believe it the first time. Just come up and get another slice of that bread for today. But when I lay my hands on you, I'm probably going to say little else uh, than something like, be healed. Receive your healing. I want every one of you to say, thank you, Jesus, or I receive it. Something like that. You verbally receive it, acknowledge it. But you receive it recognizing it's not that you deserve it, but you've been fully qualified for it because Jesus deserves it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for sending your word and healing us. Thank you for qualifying us for every good thing you've promised the righteous because you've made us righteous by placing us in Jesus Christ and clothing us with his righteousness. I pray, first of all, Lord, that if there's anybody in the sound of my voice who has never made Jesus Christ their Lord, who does not know you as Father because they are still in a state of separation from you, that you would awaken them uh, to the great love you have for them, that you, uh, it, you would ignite in them an awareness that that price has already been paid, 
that all they have to do is receive that salvation by faith, receive that gift of eternal life, acknowledge you as Lord, and grant them the wisdom to do that today, the humility to do that today, the boldness to come up here and receive that salvation today. And we thank you, Lord, for the gifts of the Spirit in operation. We believe that as we, in obedience to your word, lay hands on the sick, that your power would be manifest in their lives according to their faith and according to your finished work and that healing, that your power would go, in, uh, go into them to affect a healing and a cure in their bodies today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.